0: Words are powerful. They have the ability to reshape our understanding of history and to point us in a different direction of the future. And they can do that both for good and for evil. Listen to these words that were written over 200 years ago. We do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies... Solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connections between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. The Declaration of Independence, signed on July 4th, 1976, just words, just words, but words that had a profound impact and that changed the course of history. Let me read to you some more words. That on the first day of January, in the year of our Lord, 1,863, all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state shall be then, thenceforth, and forevermore free. The Emancipation Proclamation penned by Abraham Lincoln on September 22nd, 1862. Words, words that... Reshaped a nation, words that reshape the destiny, not just of a nation, but of people in a nation and descendants that would change the course and the trajectory forever. Let me read to you another set of words Providence has ordained that I should be the greatest liberator of humanity. I am freeing man from the restraints of an intelligence that has taken charge from the dirty and degrading self-mortification of a false vision called conscience and morality, and from the demands of a freedom and an independence which only very few can bear. Adolf Hitler. And of course, the lives that were changed forever, and the course of history that was totally derailed By words, words matter. Behind every word, there's a heart, and inside that heart, there are motives, and out of our heart come the motives, and they form words, and they form ideas, and they form concepts, and those words, and those concepts, and those ideas are powerful, and they have the ability to shape and change history. There are political motives. There are selfish motives. There are destructive motives, compassionate motives each of every one of these speeches that I just quoted came from the motive of a heart that generated words that changed history. And you have said and heard words that have reshaped your reality and changed your destiny as well. You have been reshaped and redirected by words like, I love you. I love you. And some of you can think back on an occasion where somebody said those three little words to you at just the right time, in just the right way, and it changed everything. Maybe your reality was reshaped by words that were in the form of a question. Will you marry me? Those words have the power to change the trajectory of your future, don't they? And the answer also has the power to change the trajectory of your future as well. I'm pregnant. Two words. <laughs> Two words spoken to me four times, and let me tell you, they change things. They change things. Maybe you've heard other words, words that maybe were not so joyful or hopeful. Maybe words like, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. Words maybe like i quit or you're fired now these words may not have shaped reshaped world history but they have reshaped yours and your families and they've had a profound impact on you you don't have to think long to come up with conversations and words that were said that had power to reshape your destiny, that had power to redefine your history and give you a different perspective on the situation in which you found yourself. We have been talking for several weeks about the tongue and what does the Bible say about our tongue and our mouths and the words that we say. And we're calling this series Tongue Tied. And so together, we've just been trying to challenge and encourage one another to consider the power of our words and the power that they have to impact others and the power that they have to reveal the motives and what's going on inside of our heart. We have a memory verse, uh, Ephesians 4, 29. And so I I want us to see if we can say it together. Now, if you have memorized it, close your eyes, all right? You're on the honor system here. But let's see if we can say it together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up, that it may encourage those who listen. Yes, Ephesians 4.29. From these, from these words in this verse, we have set up a challenge for ourselves that we are calling the 4.29 challenge. And, and some of you have been engaged in this, and others of you we're inviting you to join us today. But for 29 days, maybe for some of you starting today, for others of us it was two weeks ago, for 29 days we're encouraging you to keep all unwholesome talk out of your mouth. We said that, for some of us, that means we're just going to be really quiet for a while. 29 days, we're just abstaining from all unwholesome talk. But not just abstaining from unwholesome talk, but attempting to speak words that are helpful and encouraging in building others up. That it can help those who listen. But added to this, we're also saying, could we each take 29 minutes a day, 29 minutes every day, and just be silent? Just be silent and listen to what God is saying inside of our hearts. Reflect on what is going on inside of our hearts so that we can know truly the condition of our heart before we put words in our mouths. And then the hardest part of the challenge, at some point in the 29 days, to take a 29-hour vow of silence. A 29-hour vow of silence so this this is the 429 challenge we'd love for you to get involved in it now I I want you to understand if you're just getting involved in this or you've been involved with it in a couple weeks I want you to hear me say that this is not an attempt to just simply modify our behavior and to develop a better filter for our mouths we all learn to do that don't we We all learn to put a filter on our mouths and we all learn what we can say and what we can't say and where we can say it and where we can't say it. That's not what we're trying to do here. But actually what we're trying to do is this is an effort to get to the heart of the issue which is an issue of the heart because the words that you say find their source in your heart. That's why we said at the very beginning of the series that how I use my tongue reveals the true condition of my heart. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lives, once said this, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. It's not just the source of the words that you say, but it's the very source of life. And so Solomon says you should guard your heart. And because our mouths are a window into the condition of our heart, we're just saying for 29 days, let's consider our words and let's consider what they might be revealing about what's going on in our hearts. And then invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our hearts to do a deep work so that we're just not modifying our behavior or filtering our speech, but in fact, we're having a change of heart along the way. See, when we try to mask or hide the true condition of our heart when we try to mask or hide the true motives of our heart we use our tongues to create a different perception of what is actually happening within us and you've all done this many of you have even done it today we learn how to filter our speech but even as we filter our speech our hearts remain the source of the problem we learn what to say and we learn what not to say to get what we want or what we need from the people that we need or want it from. We've all done this. We learn it even as young children. In essence, we lie to create an alternate, alternate reality. We lie to project an image that isn't true about what's going on inside of our hearts. We do it in little ways, simple ways, like in a conversation in a church hallway. You might ask someone, how are you? To which you answer? Yeah, you all knew the answer because you know the script, don't you? We all know the script. Now now here's what's true about that conversation. And listen, I understand it's just become a custom uh, way that Americans and Westerns greet one another. How are you? Fine. But let's just evaluate the words because we don't mean them. We don't mean the question and we don't mean the answer. When you ask someone the question, you don't want them to tell you. And when they do... You regret asking the question. And when somebody asks you the question, your response is fine in spite of the fact that you're not fine. There are hurts and there are hang-ups and there are problems going on inside of you, but you just don't want to get into it right then. Maybe that's not an appropriate place. Maybe this is not an appropriate p- person. So what do you do? You use your words to create an alternate reality from the condition of your heart. Everybody with me? Everybody done this. Raise your hand if you have done this, okay? Raise your hand if you've never lied in church. (laughs) Everybody has done this. We do this all the time. So we can do it in small ways, but it also happens in big ways. Politicians who may question the meaning of what the word is, is. Now, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but just if any of you have watched the political conventions for the last two weeks, what is actually going on in the political conventions? There is reality, and then there is the perception of reality from a particular worldview or particular lens. And what do politicians do? They spin words to change people's perception of reality. That's what they do. And here's what we do. Here's what we do as citizens and as people in the country. In politics, we call it spin, and we often reward those who do it the best by electing them to office. I mean, we know they do it, right? We know they do it. But, but we like the message. We, we understand the message. It somehow resonates with us, even if it's different from reality. And we recognize that, and we say, man, they are an awfully good politician, I mean, this, this, this is in small ways, interpersonally, between us and the church hallway, in big ways, in the nation, in politics, in global geopolitics. We use our words to reshape people's perception of reality. And language is so powerful because language is what gives us the ability to redefine people's perception. And we learn to do this even as children. Nobody had to teach your children how to lie did they i mean think about that for just a second think think about your think about you when you were a child nobody taught you how to lie you just did it it's called original sin and anybody who doesn't believe in original sin didn't have children (laughs) because it's part of our broken human nature that we seek to reshape reality by using our words i want to share with you some data that I read in a January 2016 edition of an article in in Psychology Today. This is really interesting, and this is going to step on some toes, okay? So if you're here today and you're single, this first one is for you. People who, who are in a dating relationship, listen to this now, if you're in a dating relationship, if you're in a dating relationship, people who are in dating relationships lie to each other in one out of every two conversations. So, if you're here and you're dating, maybe you should question whether you should be dating, because here's what's going on. One out of every two conversations, the person is lying to you, and likely one out of every two conversations, you are lying to that person. Why? Because what do you do when you're dating someone? You seek to put the very best image of yourself forward. You seek to project the very best of yourself, and so there may just be little white lies along the way, at least nothing big, but maybe just in a way to project a better image of yourself because you're trying to get another date. I mean, maybe one of the ways, if you don't want to date somebody anymore, is just tell them the truth. And you might not have to worry about it again. But listen, it gets a little better because once you, if you marry that person, married people only lie to each other one out of every 10 conversations. So married people are 90% truthful with each other, whereas people who are in a dating relationship are only 50% truthful with each other. All right, any of you who are here who are going to college or you have children in college, uh, especially you mothers, listen to this, college students lie to their mothers one out of every two conversations. Why do they do it? Because they're wanting to project a different image of reality to their mamas than what is actually happening. Now, it got real uncomfortable in here for some folks. Uh, a, A doctor by the name of Bella DePaulo, a psychologist at the University of Virginia, studied 147 people between the ages of 18 and 71, requiring them to keep a diary of all the falsehoods they told over the course of a week. Most people, she found, lie once or twice a day. Both men and women lie approximately a fifth of all of their social exchanges lasting 10 or more minutes. So if you're in a conversation with somebody and the conversation is more than 10 minutes, there's a 20% chance that they just lied to you, according to this person's statistics. Over the course of a week, people deceive about 30% of those with whom they're in contact with on a one-on-one basis. Now, now listen, some of these lies you would classify, you, you might not even classify as a lie. They're just just coloring the truth a little bit, just spinning reality, just spinning the perception just a little bit. But in these conversations across the board, every age group, gender, every life setting, this is, this is sort of how we communicate to each other. And people don't do it for the most part with the intention of lying. Why do they do it? They do it to try to shape the other person's perception of reality. Listen to this. This is the big idea that I want us to take away from today and understand that human words can alter our perception of reality, but only God's Word defines it. Human words are powerful, and they have the power to alter our perception of reality. But our human words do not have the ability to create what is real. Only God's Word has the ability to do that. Now, this idea, this concept Really is best explained through the very first story that we find recorded in the Bible. So, if you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to open to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at chapter 1, 2, and 3 together. Um, and, and this story, it really encapsulate this is, encapsulates this idea. And I think it has something really important to say to us about the way we use our words and the power of our words. So, Genesis chapter 1 through 3. Now, What you'll find in Genesis 1, and if it's been a while since you've read Genesis chapter 1, I encourage you to go home and read it. We're not going to read through it today, but you can just look it over here and and you'll see what I'm talking about. Genesis 1 is a poem. We don't see it in English as a poem, but in Hebrew it's a poem. And there's a cadence to it. There's a a rhythm to this poem. And, And the rhythm of the poem and the words that are used in the poem are really, really important. Because God created the world by speaking. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let the dry ground be gathered up and separated from the sea, and it happened. This rhythm of this poem happens 10 times in Genesis chapter 1, where God said, let there be, and then at the end of the equation, we read, and it was so. God speaks reality into happening he speaks it into being creation came into being through the spoken word of god and reality as humans came to know it was set forth from the very mouth of god himself that is a really important concept for us to understand that god spoke it into being and without getting into all the debates about how god created the world and all the different ideas about that we know that the bible teaches god spoke and it was so The power of God's word to bring reality into being. Now, listen, this is really important to understand because of what is getting ready to happen. Because in chapter 3, we read the very first distortion of reality. The very first lie was told. The very first time words were twisted and spun. So look in Genesis chapter 3 at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, what's he doing already? He's trying to get at the source of the words that were spoken to Adam and Eve, these very first words. And he's questioning, what did God actually say? He's attempting to parse the words here. Did God actually say, you shall not eat eat of any tree in the garden? Do you see what he did there? The very first lie ever told was in the form of a misleading question. Because that's not what God said, is it? He didn't say that. Satan said, did God actually say you cannot eat of any tree in the garden? There's deception there. There's an attempt to spin God's command. This is why Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 44, calls Satan the father of lies. Because the very first lie ever told in the Bible was told... By the serpent to Eve in an attempt to try to change Eve's perception of reality look with me at verse uh, two and three and the woman said to the serpent we may eat of any fruit of the tree in the garden but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die so the first lie quickly resulted in the first exaggeration Because God did not say, you cannot touch the fruit. Go with me back to Genesis chapter 2, and let's look at what God actually said. Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. These are the original words that God spoke to Adam about this tree that's in the middle of the garden. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden... Okay, so we already see how Satan manipulated and twisted God's words. You may eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat it, you will surely die. So we see how Eve exaggerated God's word. Satan twisted God's words into a misleading question. And what we find in in Eve's words is really interesting. We could spend a whole uh, whole other lesson on this idea. But in Eve's comment about God said we may not even touch it, it's the first example of legalism in the Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, legalism is the practice of setting up rules which only have the purpose of keeping us from breaking other rules. That's legalism. And so what did Eve do? Eve said you may not even touch it. Did God say that? God did not say that. It was an exaggeration. But what was Eve doing? Eve was setting up another rule in order to keep her and keep Adam, keep humanity from breaking the rule that God did say. This isn't an effort to modify people's behavior and we do it all the time. We add to God's word all the time in an attempt to keep people from breaking what God actually said. And it's dangerous and it's misleading. And ultimately what happened here is, is by breaking the rule that God didn't set up, Adam and Eve were much quicker to break the rule that he did set up. Because God's words were not intended to simply modify humanity's behavior. God's words were issues of the human heart. Behavior modification only has to do with our actions, and God is always more interested in the condition of our And when we are willing to twist and spin and exaggerate God's word, we set people up to just accept behavior modification as enough. And behavior modification is never enough. Because God is far more interested in the condition of your heart. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now, let's just hold on to that a minute. We're going to come back to that in a minute. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, there are three ways in which reality is being twisted and spun in this encounter. First, you see that Satan just lies. He, he, he lies. He asks misleading questions. He says things that are completely opposite of what God actually said. He outright lies. You see Eve, who exaggerates, who takes what is true and takes it a step beyond what God actually said in order to exaggerate. And you find Adam, who is completely silent. And in his silence, he does as much or more to twist the perception of reality than anything Eve said. Because Adam knew the truth and yet failed to speak the truth when given the opportunity and the need arose. And so words are being twisted. Reality and perception is being changed. Satan's lie was an attempt to alter God's reality. And Adam and Eve chose to live in Satan's alternate alternate reality rather than to exist in God's creation. And don't we do that all the time? Satan's lie sounds so much better than what reality is. And so what do we do? We allow ourselves to begin to believe the lies and choose to live in his alternate reality rather than to live in the reality that God has set before us. And listen, this question, that, this statement that, that Satan said, you will not surely die, has raised a lot of questions among theologians for a long time. Because if you go ahead and you read the rest of the story, you know that Adam and Eve didn't die biologically. They continued to live. They had children. They, they lived to be old. Uh, they continued to interact. And so they didn't die when they ate from the tree. And so it, you would look at the situation and say, well, was Satan right? Or, or was God wrong? Or what, what's going on? Here's, here's the thought that occurred to me as I really considered this week, that, that did Satan change the meaning of the word death with the lie that he told Adam and Eve? Follow me just for a second here, because words have power and words change meaning over time. When God told Adam and Eve that they would surely die, we have to know that God meant what he said. Maybe God wasn't talking about the biology at all. God was talking about their spiritual existence. See, for God, the spiritual is primary and the physical is is consequential. And so when God said, you will surely die, what he meant was spiritually, you will be dead. The physical is consequential. But when Satan was speaking to Adam and Eve, Satan was saying, no, the biology... Is primary and the spiritual is consequential. And isn't that what we often think when somebody dies? We think about the biology of it and then the spiritual is consequential. When perhaps from the very beginning of time, God had always intended that the spiritual life was the primary and the physical life was consequential. But because of Satan's misleading statement, reality and the way we understand death has been altered and we still believe that lie today. We still make physical the primary and spiritual consequential. And, and so we believe the lie in some ways still to this point. But the Bible is consistent on this. Listen to what Paul said to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2.1. He said to them, these are people who, who used to be far away from God. They used to be far away from Christ. They came to faith in Christ. And, and then he said to them, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. Now, biologically, they were living, but Paul said, No, you were dead. Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And this is humanity's very first cover up. They're trying to cover up what's happening. And we continue to use words to try to sew fig leaves together to create alternate realities. We try to do this for ourselves in an attempt to cover up the truth about our condition. We lie to ourselves and we lie to others. And listen to some of the ways we do it. It's no big deal. Everyone does it. No, they don't. No, they don't. I can stop anytime I want. She'll never know. He'll never find out. It doesn't hurt anyone else. So how can it be wrong? It's just this one time lies, fig leaves that we sew together to try to cover up what's really going on, what's really happening in the depths of our heart, words that we use to try to change reality. This is why the commandment about lying is included in the Big Ten, because at its essence, lying is our feeble attempt to recreate reality according to our will, and it is an assault on the sovereignty of God, It is to say to God that his reality, his creation is wrong, and you know better how to recreate it. You see, a lot of times we think that lies are just sins against other people. But lies are primarily and foremost a sin against God. Because God has spoken reality into being, and every time I try to misrepresent what is true, I am attempting to undermine God and to recreate what he has already created. It's interesting to me, um, in a book called Lies, 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 The Psychology of Deceit, uh, Dr. Charles Ford points out that uh, people who are suffering from depression, uh, many of you in here maybe have uh, had a loved one or you yourself have battled depression. You may know this is true Firsthand, people who who suffer from depression, battle depression, are actually among the most honest people in all their interactions with others and with themselves. And this has led some people to speculate that a certain amount of self deception, basically lying to yourself, is essential for good mental health. You see, when our lies begin to collapse and we're forced to deal with the reality, we often feel depressed. We often feel hopeless. But here's what you need to know. If you are now living in a web of deceit and lies where you are attempting to use words and stories and silence and misleading questions to alter reality, here's what, here's what you need to know. As desperate and as difficult as the truth is and as the truth will be, it is only when we face reality, the reality of our condition that we can hope to be rescued out of it. As long as you are trying to alter people's perception of reality, you have very little hope of being rescued. But the minute you are willing to allow your words to reflect what the reality of the condition of your heart, then you are open to being saved from whatever is going on inside of you. Look at verse 8 of chapter 3. And so they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Because isn't that what we do when we lie? I mean, we can lie to our spouse. You can lie to your children. You can lie to your coworkers, You can lie to your friends. You can lie to the, to the entire American public. You can lie to, to people on social media. But you can't lie to God. And somewhere deep inside of your heart, you know that. And so what happens when you are trying to spin reality in a way that doesn't match what is actually true, and you know that God is the one who ultimately knows the truth, you have to hide from God because it exposes what is actually going on inside of you. That's what Adam and Eve did. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And then, of course, from there, the story goes on, and God begins to reveal to Adam and to Eve the consequences of their sin. But then I want you to look down with me at verse 21 because Genesis three twenty-one is one of the most powerful verses, I think, in the entire book of Genesis. Listen to what God did after he, after he tells them what's going to happen, the consequences of their deceit, the consequences of their broken choices. He says this, it, the, the writer tells us this, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and he clothed them. Do you know what that means? that the very first time blood was shed on the earth, the very first time, was God himself making a sacrifice, shedding the blood, so that the brokenness of humanity might be covered up. That it was God himself who clothed Adam and Eve in their nakedness. And it is a picture of the gospel. It's the first picture of what is to come when God himself would take on flesh and come to earth and where Jesus Christ himself would die the sacrificial death on the cross that your sins might be covered that God broke into all time and space when he said let there be and there was and then he did it again in the midst of all the deceit and all the lies the web of lies the fabric of lies that humanity had spun over time and then 2,000 years ago 2,000 years ago, the Word of God penetrates the lies once again to recreate God's ultimate reality. And we read these words in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the Word, the Word, The same Word that spoke light into being, that spoke earth into being, that spoke space and all creation into being, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only, one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and, say it with me, truth. There it is. The truth of God, the Word of God penetrates the lies. So let me ask you, are there ways... That you're lying to yourself and others in an attempt to alter reality. Maybe it's something simple. Maybe you are telling others and telling yourself everything's fine, and it's not fine. Maybe you're trying to convince yourself and other people that I don't have a problem, and you do have a problem. Let me, let me ask you another question. Does the, does the prospect of being exposed make you afraid? Do you live with a certain level of fear that people are going to find out? Do you live with a certain level of anxiety because you just never know when somebody's going to uncover a lie that you told or when something's going to be said that contradicts something you've said and maybe somebody's going to come to a different perception of reality than the one you're trying to create? Are you depressed? Because the lies have begun to crash in, and you're beginning to have to deal with reality, and you can no longer live in the alternate reality that you're trying to create. You see, we've all attempted to recreate reality through the use of our words, we've all played fast and loose with the truth. But the question is this How long do you think your charade can last? How long? Maybe you get through this marriage. Maybe you get through this relationship. Maybe you get through this job, this position, this season. But at what point, at what point do the lies begin to collapse? You see, God didn't just speak reality into being at the beginning of creation. And he didn't just recreate and cover up our brokenness through the death of Jesus. But we're told he's coming again. And all things will be made known. And all our words will be measured. All the ways we've tried to twist and spin reality to create our own idea. To serve our own purpose. Words are powerful. Words can reshape people's understanding of history. And they can change the trajectory of people's future. And human words may have the power to alter people's perception of reality but do not be deceived only God's word will remain father we come to you today with the startling understanding of how short we all fall when it comes to this topic lord that we have in many times and many cases tried to use our words to alter reality to try to convince ourselves and other people that there's something different going on than what is actually happening lord time and again in the bible we see the message of prophets who come who speak out against an entire society who believes one thing and they're the only ones speaking the truth and yet thousands of years later we know that their words were the true words and so father today today We know that we live in a complex web of deceit and lies, and sometimes it's very, very difficult to understand and know the truth. And so we ask, word of God, that you would speak into our hearts and that we might be still enough to listen to you and that we would speak your truth, as hard as it may be for ourselves to hear, for our loved ones to hear, Father, may we deal honestly and openly, and in so doing, may we invite you, Jesus, into the darkest places of our hearts to rescue us from our own brokenness, that we might live according to your light, by your grace, in your truth. Father, today, for those who are here, who maybe have been caught in this web of deception for years and years, and and today want to escape that. I pray that they would reach out to Jesus, the one whose blood was shed, that their sins might be covered. For those of us who have been rescued by the sacrifice of Christ, and yet we still find ourselves misusing our words to attempt to alter your reality, Lord, today may we be convicted again, and may we seek to live in your light, even as you are in the light. Father, we pray this in the powerful name of the one who came, full of grace and truth, Jesus Christ. Amen.